Just a really short disclaimer before we get started. Uh, today's episode, I sit down with a good friend of mine, Jess Fouts, who does sound therapy uh, for clients. And in the episode, we mention, I mention ayahuasca, uh, which I've done before, but I just want to be crystal clear that uh, Jess uh, and her partner, Jacqueline, uh, do not offer or serve ayahuasca. So that would not be something you would want to contact them over. Um, I was just mentioning it as a shared experience uh, in connection with their uh, doing hape uh, sessions or hape rituals. So uh, just a clear note there about the ayahuasca. Otherwise, I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. And I'm really excited to uh, share my friend Jess Fouts and her talents around music and sound. And I think a great discussion ensues that is just perfect for the Almost Awakened podcast. So without further ado... Welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Bill Real. Brittany is taking the week off, but I'm here with a good friend, Jess Fouts. Hello. How are you doing? So wonderful. So I've known Jessica for about six years, maybe six and a half years, and uh, we've had a lot of time to, to spend together over the years. And one of the things I know about Jess is that she, she deeply loves music, and uh Maybe we should start, Jess, with that, which is, um, I know you've loved music and it's been an important part of your life, essentially all your life, but I, maybe let's go back and you share with me and with the audience why music is so important to you. Music has always been a form of healing for me to be able to to escape and really feel the goodness that I am. And I believe in that. And to connect with something bigger than myself. I've always loved being able to just read the lyrics of whoever wrote the song. There was a very uh, inspiring event that happened in their life that caused them to write something uh, so powerful and profound and it felt to me like I was going back in time and being able to share in that moment with them and then being able to share that with others through song. 
So if maybe we start off with as music became an important part of your life, what were the like I knew you loved to sing. I know that's one of your your not only do you love to sing, but I know you're really good at it. Um but were there certain instruments that you were drawn to um kind of in the first half of life and, and also maybe talk about how your you singing is an important part of who you are. I play the flute. I played the flute from fifth grade up until college and and beyond. And I feel like music is a big part of who I am uh, because that is something that my whole family did. It's something all four of us as kids, we would form a quartet and we would perform places. It was those moments in life where it felt like I belonged. And my dad is amazing at singing and writing music and the lyrics that he would write. Um, I remember him imagining he was that person and he would have us ask ask him questions and he would answer as if he were that person to better get into their mind and to feel of their experiences. And that was a really profound uh, example of empathy for me to to see that and to care about another human being's experience as to want to to really get in there and and share the little tiny details that make the biggest difference love it so um as we get Towards the end of the interview, you're going to recognize, I'll just say it now, that Jessica, one of her gifts that she shares with the world is sound therapy. And we're going to talk about that as this conversation goes on. But all throughout this conversation, we're going to play an array of instruments and give you a feel for the sounds of these. And we're going to do one of those now. And I I just ask each time that Jess plays something that you that if you're if it's possible that you'd be in a place where you can kind of really sit still and sit with the sound of these instruments they're they're ones that I've heard her play for for me and for my wife I'm aware that she does this deep work in helping people to process trauma and to think about the the hard things in their world and to to kind of maybe deal with those things in new ways through music and and so we're going to start off here with an instrument Jess which one would you like to play Uh, first for us? Uh, Let's start with the singing bowls. Let's do it. So these are crystal singing bowls and they are made out of uh, 99.9% quartz crystal and they are crushed up into a fine powder and then spun in a mold that is heated very very hot until it melts and creates a beautiful bowl and there are eight of them, and they are very majestic. <laughs> yeah. When, when you, um, so with these sound bowls, what, uh, was there a moment in time where you're like, I've got to have these, I've got to learn to play these? <clears throat> was, is there any story behind what got you interested in this instrument? Um, the love of my husband. And my husband developed a condition where he, couldn't tell if he was dreaming or sleeping and he has always been a very lucid dreamer so whenever he would be in his dreams he would just go oh I just need to jump off a building or kill myself to wake myself up this thing that happened was brought on by a very uh, traumatic 
event in both of our lives. So it, we were trying everything that we could to preserve his life, and we tried everything from, from therapy, medication, uh, kundalini yoga, just functional neurology, and each each and every one of them played a very important role that that the other could not substitute. But for me, when he would come home from yoga on Wednesday nights when they would have the crystal singing bowls, he would just glow. And it was really, really nice to be able to see him in a state of peace. And so I would just look at him and I thought, if if that's the effect that those are having on him, then I need those in my home. So on uh, Valentine's Day that year, I, I uh, bought him a whole set and I started taking uh, classes on how to use them as therapy on the body. From there, it actually grew and I learned how to play other instruments and it has just been this beautiful gift that came from such a, a very scary part of our lives that is now one of the great coolest things that I could imagine myself doing that came from it. Yeah, I I love the story. So your your husband has this affliction which keeps him from being able to fully grasp whether he's in reality or whether he's dreaming or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And you as an act of love to save his life to some degree learned how to play this beautiful instrument in order because you already saw that it was having a positive effect on him mm. and to me that's just gorgeous and so I'm really excited for folks to to hear these he's pretty amazing yeah. so yeah he is he is awesome so I'm gonna I'm gonna let Jess play the sound bowls and that's what you're gonna hear uh, here next
All right, so remind the listeners, what's the name of this instrument specifically that we just played? Uh, the, the crystal singing bowls. Crystal singing bowls. Mm-hmm. And the sound in them is unique. As I've, you know, we were at your home a few months ago and you played these for us. It was really just deeply a meditation for me and my wife. And as you were playing them just now, I'm reminded it how that vibration really kinds of kind of affects you. Um, and then you, of course you're adding uh, singing into it as well. Um, what is it about the sounds of these that seem to have an impact uh, on people? There's a lot of science to it. I mean, our earliest moments of development of being soothed uh, was to the rhythms of our mother's heartbeat. Yeah. And and the lullabies, right? Being sung to and uh, being in a safe space yeah. where you can let down your guard, hopefully, uh, if you, you're in that environment as a child. You go far enough back and there's a drum somewhere in your culture. Um, and it's, it's in our DNA to this is something very grounding, like a, the shamanic drum that really feels like that heartbeat that, that soothes us and grounds us. And, and uh, those lullabies, the, the medicine songs that we sing are um, so nourishing. And I think as adults we really still need that in some form. And so how beautiful that there can be a space where we can receive that, that nourishment that either we are in need of, or perhaps we never got. So we get this second chance at being able to receive of and get acquainted with that kind of love so that we can incorporate it into our daily lives. Yeah, I'll tell you the the vibration of this instrument specifically is very grounding. As I'm as I was sitting listening to you play, and I remember the same experience when my wife and I were listening to you play a few months back. It it, it as you pointed out, it I did feel very safe. I felt mm-hmm. very present. Um, I I remember just as I was listening to you play, I, I noticed that I was smiling. Um, <laughs> There's something healing to music, but there's something specifically healing to certain instruments. And, and these, um, and again, I'm going to ask you the name, the name again one more time of the instrument. Oh, the crystal singing bowls. Yeah, so the crystal singing bowls uh, specifically have this vibration or, um, I don't want to say bass, but this... this uh, Echo that kind of just it, it's deep in, yeah deep inside of you that really mm. does settle you down and calls you to be present uh, and does have some sort of healing property and again I think as you pointed out humans have been utilizing music as part of the ritual of our species for as long as we've been human and almost assuredly before mm. yeah um. Any other thoughts on this instrument before we move on to something else? Um, I had a thought about what you were just talking about, um, about how how much it affects our, you know, it just creates this oh, relaxation mm. and, and just release of the tension that our body is holding. 
So sound therapy is a form of sensory therapy that utilizes specific frequencies and vibrations to affect the body's nervous system while encouraging healthy emotional processing. One of the principles that it uses is the principle of entrainment, where I am using vibrations that are within the range of healing for the human body. If my body or specific parts of my body or organs are are vibrating at a less than optimal rate, they're going to latch on to the other vibration and and sync up with it. Mm -hmm. All of our cells, we have 30 trillion cells that are all vibrating um, at their own innate frequency. They're designed to respond to sound. They have cilia that, that responds to sound. And when, when they feel of these healing vibrations and frequencies, they release nitric oxide, which sends messages to our muscles to relax. It's okay, relax. <laughs> kind of like when we receive a deep tissue massage and it's like afterwards you're like, oh, that feels so good. Everything feels so good. We can't solve problems with the same mentality that created it. If I'm in a state of fight or flight because I'm trapped in it due to trauma, it's it's really hard to get myself out of that if I'm just processing under stress, 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 stress. And so our clients come with a intention, whether it be a a question, a meaningful question they want to explore, some kind of uh, toxic abuse they want to to hand back to the abusers to say this was never mine to carry, um, integrating inner child or fragmented pieces, or owning, taking responsibility for the chaos that we play in our own lives. Um, we're better set up for success when we can when we can uh, approach those things with a filter of love and peace and relaxation and it puts us in rest and digest turns on our parasympathetic nervous system which allows for creative problem solving Um, and it also helps us to be grounded in who we are to be able to be in touch with that and remember Oh, okay. This, these are what my principles are. These are what. This is the person I want to be. This is the life I want to create for myself. And we're able to see truth for what it is. Uh, yeah, just all of that. That's all gorgeous, and um, I'll share it in the resource notes for this episode. But Jess and I have had recorded conversations before. And I believe it was an early part of the Almost Awakened podcast when we first started the podcast a few years ago. And Jess, um, you've done training on human development. Remind remind the listeners, because I know you shared it in there, and I just don't remember the name of the, yeah. the institution that you took your training with. Uh, Stages International. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, and, amazing program. And so you've spent a lot of time, because you and I have had numerous conversations, you understand human development really well, and the things you're speaking to uh, are hitting on that. And it reminds me, and it seems so obvious when you when you understand, at least in part, kind of evolution and uh, what mechanisms we humans use to, to regulate. But like you said, like if we're out on the Serengeti and 
and there are predators out there. And in our fear of survival, first off, we're, we're hunting and gathering and every day is a, is a battle to survive. And there are other threats out there that, that we run the risk of being the prey to. And so our systems are constantly being threatened and we're constantly in fight or flight and lizard brain. And our tribes needed mechanisms in order to calm down and be at peace again. We couldn't mm. live constantly in that uh, fight or flight mode. And so human beings very early on learned the, um, the gift of music, which you're pointing out is, was deeply used by human beings, not only to add meaning to their lives, but to regulate their, their central nervous system and to give them moments to feel safe again. Hmm. And, that, and this music does that. Any thoughts there? No, I loved, I loved everything that you said. Um, so let's play another instrument. Okay. Uh, what would you like to play this time? Hmm. I don't know. You pick. Uh, what's the name of this? <laughs> this is Sansa the Sansala. <laughs> Sansa the Sansala. And it's called a Sansala? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a Sansala. I named it, uh, actually named it her Sansa after uh, the Game of Thrones character. Gotcha. I, lo- I loved it so much because, I mean, her transformation yeah. story and then, and then her, where, what's his name? The Hound? It's so, like, if you would have just gone with me at the very beginning, you would have have gone through all of this, this trauma, these horrible things, little bird. And she looks at him and she says, if I would have gone with you, I still would be a little bird. Yeah. And she just, she becomes this, this force to be reckoned with by yeah. the end of it. And I, I'm all like, oh, that, that is a woman after my own heart. I, I want to describe this instrument to the mm-hmm. listeners. I see kind of a, an oval. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if I were to stretch out my fingers on my hand, maybe about the size of my, where my wrist meets my hand all the way to the tip of my middle finger and then from the edge of my thumb extended to my pinky extended, kind of across the width of that. Mm-hmm. And it's got, and it's uh, some sort of uh, leather or canvas that's stretched. It's goat skin. Goat skin. It actually broke. It was a, a fine paper, and I wanted to see if I could fix it. And yeah. so I went and got some goat skin, and yeah. I reconstructed it. And you did the whole thing where you tightened the goat skin. Yes, I did it all, and I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) And it's gorgeous looking. And um, we will will have some pictures of this, uh, pictures of these instruments uh, in the resource notes as well, so folks can see these. And then it has a a board on top that is fastened to another piece of wood on the other side of this frame. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And on the board are these metal... Little There's nine, nine keys. Yeah, nine little like bent metal in different directions, and you can see that they're made for like your fingers to strum at each of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on this instrument before you play it? We usually play this to either begin bringing them into deep relaxation, or when we're bringing them out. Um, each of the instruments. Uh, we choose to, and I say we, I'm talking about my, my partner in yeah. sound, Jacqueline. 
yeah, we were very selective of where we put place each of the instruments because each one has a purpose in in bringing. Okay, this one has more of a lighter sound, and 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 so it will begin the process of um, bringing the mind into relaxation, and then it goes deeper, 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 mm. so that they can go deep internally, and then and then we gently song after song bring them out yeah because uh, bringing them into different brainwave states uh it needs to be done very gently i love it i love it all right so folks i'm gonna i'm gonna let her play this instrument for you and you can get a feel for this one and then after this instrument we'll talk a little bit about the the musical therapeutic work that jessica and uh, her partner are doing but maybe uh, somewhere around a year ago or so, and you were beginning to do this work where you... What, what's your partner's name again? Jacqueline. Jacqueline. And so the two of you have... you know, She was already doing a lot of therapeutic work, uh, working with clients and helping them process trauma. And, oh, yeah. and how, how did she come to get involved with you and decide to bring musical therapy... Uh, into her practice and have you two partner up. So Jacqueline, I can't say enough good things about her. She is a truly loving and wise person with so much integrity. And I came in contact with her I was doing a hape session with some friends and I got to see this goddess <laughs> and I had never experienced or seen or felt anything like it and it's like something in me something in me woke up and was just like this is this is the thing that that I've been looking for. I'd already been doing sound healing for since 2017. And it was, I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021. I think it was 2020. Yeah, when we, uh, uh, when I sat in ceremony with her. And it was just one of those things where we just instantly hit it off and we became really close friends and it seemed like uh we had so many different experiences that that really just allowed us to see the person the individual where 
you know, where their integrity lies and just go, wow, I really, really trust this person, both because of their gifts and the quality of human being that they are, both, you know, with people and behind the scenes. And uh, it was one of those things where I had gone to her and was like, can can you be my teacher? And she was just like, I'm, I would rather be your friend. <laughs> I would rather be your friend. And uh, I would want to do this work because I love your energy. And I would hope that you would want to do that, you know, the same thing because of the same thing. And uh, which just made me love her even more <laughs> because, uh, you know, so many people jump at the opportunity to go, yes, I will be, I will be over you. It's just been this beautiful partnership. It feels like when we're together, we just geek out over music and, and new instruments and what we're creating and composing songs and learning about new songs together and just and to be able to take this stuff and use it to help people and to see the light come on in their eyes as they find and discover and feel their own power sometimes for the first time because they never had the opportunity or have someone say the wisdom that you need is already within you you know so many times sometimes even a day i'm just all like how is this real life that that we get to do this it's it's really an honor yeah um the idea that you know you start off by saying will you be my teacher and her response i'd rather be your friend it it gives this message like maybe we can learn from each other yeah and and you brought something to the table and she brought something to the table and the two of you have partnered up to create a therapeutic approach that uh, involves conversation and involves music. Mm. And her background is is really uh, unique. She's traveled to f- 50 different countries, sometimes to learn from indigenous leaders, like especially the, the Yawanawa tribe in South America. She went to school in France and and she's a professor at the at UNLV for the honor honor classes honor college classes mm. I think um, but uh, and so when you've been to that many countries you and have been exposed to so many different ways of being so many different beliefs and cultures that you kind of get to have this airplane you know bird's eye view perspective and go oh these these things are similar these things are are toxic and are hurting people and I see uh, it just gives her this deep wisdom to be able to to help people expand awareness and insight into their own being and uh, nurture development and as as much as I've learned about in development it's been really interesting to see her come to so many of those conclusions intuitively because she has been in so many different places just kind of observing humans and how they human yeah you guys uh you're in las vegas she's in las vegas as Mm -hmm. well yes and uh what's the what's the website that you guys have 
It is, uh, so it's her website, and then we have a page together, um, and it is growwithsoul.com. Okay, so G-R-O-W-W-I-T-H-S-O-U-L.com, mm-hmm. growwithsoul.com. And uh, she offers multiple therapeutic approaches, mm-hmm. and the two of you partner up to do this musical therapy. Yeah, um, yeah what's healing. I got to imagine, again, having experienced this firsthand uh, myself, um, you have to be seeing when you do these sessions with folks, um, responses from them that are, they, they have to be responding back that there's just a deep level of healing and and being part of a session that contains these instruments. Mm. Um, any thoughts on, on the therapeutic benefit to people who uh, participate in these sessions? Hmm. So for me, um, witnessing when they when we bring them out of the session, uh, the way that I describe it, and it's actually the way that I describe Jacqueline as well, and what she did with the first time I experienced it with myself is is. Um, it's like a paleontology of the soul where you are unearthing, clearing away the muck and unearthing something very ancient and wise. And uh, for the person, it feels like sometimes it can feel like, like a birthing process. In that way, it's like being a midwife, helping them integrate those parts of themselves into their entirety seeing them be able to reject distorted beliefs about themselves that were never theirs to carry, Mm. um, that were obviously put there by someone who is lost to their own given worth. Mm. Another thing that we get to see uh, people uh, do is um, own the part they play in creating their own chaos. Um, Then making a game plan as to um, how to repair and create a life of thriving for both themselves and for their loved ones and those around them. We get to see how a split ego shadow, which is like fragmented part that didn't get to develop along with the rest of us of mm-hmm. like no that part is bad or you know no you should be ashamed of that part of you getting to see them take that fragmented part and and uh, integrate it back into their their life and uh, as if like clearing space in a house and going, hey, this is your room. Instead of being out in the rain, malnourished, I'm going to bring you in the house and I'm going to give you a room and you get to operate and have a voice along with everybody else at the table and we're going to nourish you until you are plump (laughs) and uh, no longer ribs exposed you know those uh, for those pieces of ourself and really get to feel self-love and care and we get to hear of their experiences with the sacred of something greater than themselves that they get to connect with and we get to see how 
how empowered they become as they learn to take life's stumbling blocks and turn them into stepping stones and have those things be the thing that gave them the opportunity to create a fulfilling life that makes them feel like a badass, you know? Like, I did that. <laughs> and now I'm even cooler than I was before because of it. There, There's so much of the trauma that human beings carry that goes back into their childhood. And these these instruments that have these ancient earthy sounds i love those two words mm. <laughs> um really really seem if if you again i recognizing that the process you guys are using and again i haven't been part of one of these sessions and i'm actually in my head thinking like how do i um put you and Jacqueline into a space where I would one get to enjoy the benefit of that, <laughs> but also folks that are either here in Vegas or in Southern Utah who are affiliated with our work in the podcast arena to put them in touch with this therapy. But the the, the this process of these sorts of instruments and these sorts of conversations are designed to help people, as you're pointing out figure out the pieces and parts from long ago that that they're carrying around that maybe they don't need to to the degree they do and maybe not mm -hmm. at all um and i think it's a beautiful thing to help people heal and i'm just i'm just uh not only fascinated but just really respect the work that uh, the two of you are doing thank you so the the next instrument what is this one called this is a gong yeah, and it looks like almost the exact same size. I, when I was a kid, there was a show on TV called The Gong Show, <laughs> and they brought out performers. It was kind of like America's Got Talent, but it was from like the 1980s. Maybe that's actually probably earlier, and these were reruns. But they had a gong, and I'm going to guess that looks like it's about three and a half feet in uh, diameter. It's 28 inches. 28 inches, so 20, a little less yeah. than three feet. Mm -hmm. And um, it essentially looks like a giant symbol, <laughs> but but it looks um, more like uh, melted or malleable around the edges. This is a Pisces uh, accent gong, and I, whew, I, I listen to hundreds of <laughs> of gongs uh before i came and to this one and found this one and each one of my instruments it feels like a relationship yeah. a, a partnership where it's like it 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 just fills me with life and and with each one i'm like oh man it doesn't get cooler than this yeah. but then i play the next one and i'm right. like oh you're your own you're your own category of awesomeness yeah, the, the, each of these instruments plays such a unique sound. And as you're pointing out, even from gong to gong, they're going to sound different. Oh, and yeah. you've, you've really kind of hand-selected these instruments with intention to have the sound be something that resonates not only with you, 
but something that you see will resonate with the folks that you serve. Yeah, um, yeah, and Jacqueline as well. Her instruments are are chosen with Very that same intention. Like yeah. she has a, the, oh, a beautiful sheepskin drum, and it uh, was made for her by a spiritual teacher from Guatemala, and he. Uh, uses the money that he makes from them to give to an orphanage.
How many instruments do you guys utilize in this therapeutic work? A lot. Do you know, <laughs> do you know roughly, is it 10, 20? Oh, man. 30 um, instruments? Uh, let's see. And each time we're not using uh, all of, them, all of right. the same ones because, you know, you got to keep it fresh. Yeah. Um, let's see. We got the, the bass drone flute. I have an Egyptian tune flute. We've got drums. We have medicine songs. Uh, this uh, medicine song book from, with over 130 medicine songs from all over the world. There's there's those songs, and uh, there's the gong. There's the crystal singing bowls. There's the Tibetan singing bowls. Um, we got chimes. The tuning forks. I love the tuning forks. They're uh, brainwave tuning forks, yeah. and so uh, so what it does. And we'll play that. We'll play those next. So yeah, please. Um, Basically, what these are, I'll grab them. Um, these were made by Biosonics, and they're different frequencies. Uh, we have a fundamental note, and then uh, we have other ones that are designed to bring your brain into delta, theta, beta, alpha, whichever brainwave state you want. We always use uh, the theta because that one is for deep meditation, creativity, and usually it takes about 45 minutes to of meditation to get into theta brainwave states, and this does it in 30 seconds. Right. Sweet. Before we play those, um, if somebody seeks out the you and Jacqueline to, to do a session for them, mm-hmm. how long does a session last? The shamanic sound healing sessions with either our heart opening cacao drink or herbal tea are about 90 minutes. And if they would like hape, which is a uh, shaman snuff. It's a, like a tobacco that's blown up into the nose, correct? Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's I've a, been at, I've never done it, but I've been <laughs> at uh, occasions where folks in the group were doing a hape ritual. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, it's it's a beautiful tool for going deep and for grounding, gaining clarity, releasing, letting go, purging. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. there there can be vomiting. Um, it's clearing your system and it's energetically removing those blockages and. It's a legal mixture of dried Amazonian plants from various vines and seeds, barks, flowers. There are so many different varieties that it comes in, um, and it's made by shamans. So the ones that Jacqueline has, the majority of them have been given to her by by shamans. And uh, they help to restore balance, and it's considered a very powerful teacher. One of the ways that when I first when I first had it, I was I was really trying to find my place. Like, where do I, where do I fit in the universe? <laughs> and uh, and uh, my dad is a functional neurologist, and there's this therapy that he would do to turn on the midbrain and higher parts of the brain, and that was by using uh, peppermint on specifically uh, in the nostril, the side that needed stimulation to to wake it up and it worked um and that's the way that i would describe it just on just a lot stronger and and so you you come in with this intention sinking wisdom from either something greater than yourself or from the wisdom within and and it really is a teacher both in 
it gives you exactly what you need. And uh, if you do need to purge because it is a very good clearing tool, it, usually that's in the form of crying or sweating. Um, sometimes they vomit. Um, and when that happens, it's like you know exactly what it, it, it's not like, oh, and now I'm vomiting. It's it's more like there's this trauma that is stuck in me and now it's coming out. Thank you for letting me get rid of you. Yeah. And and so it's it's something that is it's very liberating and you feel lighter internally afterwards and very very grounded and, and balanced and cleansed. Yeah. I can relate to that. I did a an ayahuasca ceremony a few years ago and I'm holding my bucket. The, the medicine called me to purge. And when I described the experience to people, people were like, Oh, you're throwing up like crazy. That sounds horrible. And I said, honestly, I was really, I was almost happy to be doing it. I was almost happy <laughs> to be holding my bucket and to be, and to be dry heaving and throwing up into it. Because my body and brain recognized that I was purging, and it recognized that I was, um, it, I it, my body and brain recognized that I was getting rid of something, um, and and that it wasn't just vomiting. It really was something inside me needed to go, and my brain and body knew that this was the way of letting it go. And it it may have been metaphorical in my mind. Mm. But it was, but it was real. Yeah, our our bodies hold on to trauma. Our muscles do, and and man, those even even afterwards, even after the the hape sessions, right? Your body is still yeah. release things that it's been holding on to, and so we always yeah. tell them to drink a ton of water yeah. to cleanse that from their system to to get it all out. It, it was interesting when. You, you know, when people had explained hape to me in the past, they had explained it as tobacco. And when I'd watched people do hape in ceremony, um, it had an effect on them that was beyond what I would have expected tobacco to have. And so hearing you say, like, it's more than that, it's mm. it's a bunch of things, there's there's multiple ingredients and they're, they're carefully selected, makes a whole lot more sense to me having watched those ceremonies take place and seeing people have a spiritual experience um, when doing that. that. So anyway, I just, I appreciate learning that from you. Um, <laughs> how long do these sessions, how long do these sessions last generally? Uh, so the ones with Hoppe usually last about two hours, okay. unless there's multiple people, then probably about two and a half. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a two and a half hour session um, with music, uh, hape, um, is there is there a lot of conversation happening? Is there any kind of talking to help people work through things, or really is it letting the music just do its thing? So it it is it's them going deep and connecting with that wisdom within themselves and so we we're facilitating a a very safe space a very loving compassionate space so whatever they need to do there there are times where like with the hape you know someone will be like is this okay and I'm, and, and going yeah you're doing great you know? or sharing a message 
Are you guys giving any prompts? Are you are you saying like uh, so? I've been part of medicine ceremonies where, as just like obviously very different, but just like you guys are doing your hand selecting music, mm-hmm. both instrumental. Um, as well as some singing, correct? Mm-hmm. Medicine songs, yes. yes. And so those songs, in the ceremony that I was part of, those songs were very deliberately calling people mm-hmm. to certain ideas or facets in their mind. So, for instance, there would be songs on family. Mm-hmm. There would be songs on trauma. There would be songs on ancestors. Um, and... And these songs would call in this group I was in that they would call people to really go off into their brain, into that part of their life Mm -hmm. or their history, or to connect with something more ancient than them. And, Mm -hmm. and then they would do whatever work was there outside of the songs, as you're saying, the ancient medicine songs that you've got that you're incorporating, are you guys using any, just like talking to the folks to prompt them or is it really just the music? It's it's the music and and the medicine. Um, if they're not doing the hape, then we have a tea yeah. that they that they drink and uh, they share their intention. And it's like they're putting that intention into it. And then when they're they're drinking it, it's like envisioning that intention um, going into them and really preparing them for what is about. To happen, and uh, afterwards we do put aside time to they can share and we can talk with them to integrate um, what happened. Yeah, but yeah. most uh, throughout the session, it is it is very um, you're going to connect with yourself, perhaps something greater than you, um, connect with the sacred, and and gain that wisdom within so that you can learn how to trust trust your own inherent goodness i love it i love it let's do the tuning forks and let's have you play that and then um i'll tell a little story about my mom and then we'll we'll have (laughs) you play a couple of these flutes okay sounds great I love that. So um, Jess would uh, hit these two tuning forks together and then place them on each uh, one on each side of my ear. And the noise they make, I'm, I'm assuming the noise that the that the microphone's going to pick up is going to be kind of the sound that you hear from them at a distance. But when they're placed really close on each side of my ears, they make a completely unique sound that I did not hear until they were right next to my ears and then i don't know how to explain it but my my head felt something different and uh, again i think it's a sort of this call to be present um but it was a unique sound that i don't know if the microphone will capture but um i can see how that would be really useful uh, any other thoughts on those um no <laughs> i know we shared a little bit about yeah. those earlier so um my mom died about uh, three or four years ago and she got skin cancer it ended up she got treatment for that it went into remission for a little bit 
came back about uh, six months later as brain cancer. Uh, and it was skin cancer that had moved to her brain. And uh, my mom had stage four. She was she essentially like she's going to die. There's not any fixing this. She's got a limited amount of time to live. She's doing pretty well. She's still working towards the end. But she had moments where her mind wasn't working as well. And she had this period towards the end where she had a lot of clarity. And uh, my oldest son, him and his wife, uh, she was pregnant and she was getting ready to give birth to uh, my mother's first grandson. And so my mom asked my dad if it would be safe, if he thought it would be safe for her to fly from Ohio to Las Vegas to then get off the airplane, get a rental car, drive to the hotel, which also was a casino. My mom loved to play slot machines. And um, my dad agreed to let her because then she would she would then check into the hotel, check out the next morning and drive to St. George, Utah to for the first time and see her first great grandchild who had just been born. And she had made the plans, you know, that we had a due date. Um, she had made the plans she flies uh, from Ohio into Las Vegas, Nevada, gets off the airplane at, I don't know what time, gets off the airplane at like 10 o'clock p.m. Um, she ends up getting herself to a rental car by like 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, something like that. Then she drives the rental car but doesn't check into the hotel until like 4 in the morning. And we don't really know what happened but the next day, my mom kind of got stuck in a mental loop, and she was supposed to check out at 11 a.m. She never did. She was uh, somewhere near the casino because my dad could tell that she was taking a couple hundred bucks out every few hours. And my mom, again, loved to play slot machines. <coughs> Excuse me. But she was supposed to come to St. George and she never shows up. And my dad and my brother and I are making phone calls. We're trying to locate her. We don't know exactly where she is. But my dad can see that money's being taken out every couple of hours from the ATM machine uh, in the hotel that she was staying at. So we assumed that she was in the hotel uh, playing slots. And just because of the way her brain was working towards the end of her life, figured that she sort of got stuck, which is what happened. And we didn't, we couldn't, she wouldn't answer her phone. We couldn't really get her to answer and get out of the loop and get in the rental car and come see us. So uh, I made some phone calls. We were, we were kind of frantic and panicking. And, and I made some phone calls to Jess and her husband, Kyle, here in Vegas and said, you know, hey, can you guys do me a huge favor? And you guys were kind enough to drop what you were doing, get in your car, and go to the hotel she was staying at, which I think was the Orleans. It, uh, I thought it was Samstown. Oh, it might have been Samstown. It was Samstown. Those are the two hotels my parents <laughs> always would get, get. So Samstown. And you guys went there. You drove around the parking lot. You went inside. And after some time, and it's kind of funny because I said, like, you know, I don't, I don't know how to describe my mom. I think maybe I sent a picture or something. But you guys went around looking for her and. I think sent a picture of like an older lady. I'm like, nope, that's not her. But eventually you found my mother. She was so feisty. She, she, yeah, that's she my mom. She was so feisty. 
And so she's playing her slot machines. She's never checked out of the hotel. Her bags are still in her room. And you guys helped her get back to her room and gather her stuff up. In the meantime, I'm driving to Vegas so that I can pick her up and bring her to St. George. And it all worked out perfectly. By the time we got her to St. George, her mind had kind of self-corrected. And the whole time she was with us visiting her first great-grandchild, her mind was pretty good. And and she was uh, fully aware, fully participating in spending time with us family and then we we got her back on an airplane. I drove her back to Vegas, got her back on an airplane. Um, and she went back to Ohio. And then about two weeks later, she um, collapsed. And we she ended up going into hospice care. And then over the course of the next 11 days, she just slowly died. And so I flew back to uh, Ohio to spend that time with her. The first day I get there to hospice... She can speak. And I did an episode for Almost Awakened um, right around the time she passed away where I share the story of her passing. You can go back and listen to that. I actually have her her very last words recorded, and I've never gone back to listen to it. I, um, it's it's too close. too close. I don't know how to explain it. I've, I've got voicemails from my mom that I've never listened to, um, but I don't delete them either. And uh, the first day I got there, my mom was talkative, and I sang a song to her, and we spent a little bit of time together. The next day she couldn't talk as well. The third day she was just whispering or murmuring. And after that, she was completely unconscious. And it was a really hard 11 day process of watching her essentially starve to death and die from this cancer, which had just invaded her brain and her body. And uh, on like the fourth or fifth day there, it really is hitting home that mom's definitely this. She's not leaving this place. This is going to come to an end. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a, a peaceful way to watch somebody go. And there were a lot of things I was wrestling with in my mind about how our, our state and federal systems work in terms of giving people with terminal illnesses, the ability to decide on their own when they'll go. And instead, those of us who are left behind for, for our own sort of comfort and for a lot of religious reasoning that doesn't make a lot of sense, we impose on people dying to go through this long-suffering process. And on about the halfway point of, of these 11 days, in this hospice center, there's this big center room. And uh, every day they would bring somebody in to either play music or read poetry or to do something that gave people that were there with their loved ones who were dying a chance to take a breather and to have a rest. And on this day, I went out into the center room and I'm sitting there. And this gentleman, maybe in his 60s, 50, late 50s, early 60s, he comes in and he's got this... Uh, it looks like a like a homemade flute of some sort, like a very detailed, uh, carved out, but not not like a flute made on an assembly line, something that was handmade. And he played it. And it's the first time I'd heard it. It was a Native American flute. It was the first time I had heard it. And it was the, just the most beautiful sound. And uh, I sat out there for about an hour and a half kind of wrestling with the fact that I'm about to lose my mother. And in this process where I'm really angry and hurt every day, 
that the system works the way it does. And for this hour and a half, like my body and brain were able to just kind of rest and take a break. Um, not knowing that, you know, that this process was going to go much longer than I had anticipated it. And, and kind of gave me a spiritual moment in the midst of a, a really hard thing happening. And so I just came down, my wife and I just came down to visit Jessica and Kyle. And uh, Jess and Kyle said they had a, a gift for me. And so Jess presented to me a, a Native American flute in memory of my mom that she has decorated um, and, and this flute has just because of her knowing the situation, her and Kyle having dropped what they were doing and going to kind of rescue my mother, uh, and this flute being played in the process of her dying, all of this just has so much special meaning. And so the next instrument we're going to play for you is a Native American flute. And I'll, I'll ask you, Jess, is there any thoughts you have about Native American flutes in general, or this one specifically, or anything else you want to say before you play uh, this really unique instrument. Thank you so much for sharing that. I loved your mom. Yeah, <laughs> she was. And, and you said feisty. And if you said like, the, if you say like, describe your mother, I would go. Um, my mom will bend over backwards for the people she loved and cared about. And if you were unhealthy and bumped into her or bumped into others with malice. She she would not allow she would put her foot down and not allow you right. to cause any harm to another person. And so when you said feisty, that is a perfect <laughs> word to describe her. So the Native American flute, uh, it's um, they're made with the pentatonic minor scale and it is it's really made to be played intuitively and for healing purposes. So, uh, you want me to play the flute yeah. that I gave you? Yeah, okay. play this one for a moment, and then immediately following this, okay. well, because they have a similar sound, you have this double flute, which is just a beautiful instrument, and uh, the sound in it is just gorgeous, and we'll have you describe that and play that one next, immediately okay. following.
we should probably add you you informed me when you played that for me when you first presented the flute to me and the song you just played now that you had designed you had created that song specifically in honor of my mom yeah yeah (laughs) and so for folks you got a chance to hear that that is just gorgeous so this next instrument you said is a double flute it's a bass drone flute a bass drone flute yes and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to take a picture of this when we get done because this is, I think this of all the instruments you've got, it's so cool. Yeah, there, this one looks so dang. All your instruments look cool, but for its own unique reasons, this one just is stands out. Um, it's got kind of this etched in design of a tree whose roots turn into like a DNA strand, and then at the very bottom turns into like a normal tree roots and it's yeah, just and gorgeous. The DNA strands are still the roots. Oh, like look at that. See, yeah. He he burned this into the flute for me. Yeah. Um, it just has so much symbolism for the inner work that we do and how and how the effect that sound has on our DNA and I feel very strongly that plants teach us better about how to be a healthy human being than humans do um, just in the way that they grow and they thrive um, and breaking those generational cycles that can cause so much uh, inner turmoil and uh, not only being able to release those things and create a life that allows for thriving but uh, allowing for future generations that gift as well how long have you been playing this one <laughs> um two weeks two weeks two, two or three weeks and, and, and you played it for us a little bit ago and it just sounds so gorgeous is there anything else you want to say about this instrument um oh man uh the the person who made this uh oscar rojas he man he is a very very humble spiritual teacher and uh, he also made my drum. It's it, a piece like, of art. It, it, it really is a, a piece of art. And when you see it, it's almost like you could feel him. Just the love and the care and the intention that he puts into his work.
in our conversation, you were talking about uh, the physical body, and you were you were I think you'd mentioned cells. And I know that in our conversations leading up to this interview, you there were some ideas that you wanted to share around the sounds, I guess, that our body and the makeup of the body make. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are kind of on that on that space. Yeah, so it has been really fascinating to me learning about different things like uh, sonocytology and somatics and how different frequencies create uh, different geometrical patterns that can be seen throughout nature. And I mean, our body is made of a large part of water and how our bodies and our, even our cells are affected by the, the frequencies that we take in and even the way that we talk to ourselves. If you type in the word uh, somatics, C-Y-M-A-T-I-C-S, there is a study done of how uh, taking a body of water, glasses of water, and speaking things like love and gratitude, um, or singing uh, songs with different emotions, or uh, to another one speaking I hate you, or I want to kill you, thing, things like that. And um, then they took that water and froze it, and the the uh, crystals were that, that were made in it, the ones that were very hateful, they did not have any form. And the ones that were spoken love to them in gratitude or singing uplifting songs, they had their own unique pattern, consistent patterns within... Uh, the ice crystals, and you find the same thing in uh, sono, sonocytology, which is sound made visible, and whether it be through, it's called a Chladni plate, where Chladni, who was this uh, researcher, he took his violin, played some notes, and had hooked it up to uh, this metal plate and sprinkled some sand on it and the different frequencies within different notes created a different pattern you know what we know as uh, sacred geometrical patterns and these patterns are found throughout nature it's just really just yet another confirming thing of of the way we speak to ourselves it, it really does affect us on a cellular level. It affects us emotionally. It affects us, our mental state. Not that that is the only cause of why someone might be angry or sad or, or anxious, but we can do some things to, to help bring back self-love and, and bring back to ourselves a remembrance of the sacredness that we are. And you had uh, you have something where you were going to share with us, kind of a comparison of healthy cells in our body versus unhealthy cells in our body. So each uh, sound sample is about I don't know around seven seconds long, and one plays after the other. So I want you to see if you can pick which one is the sound of a healthy cell and which one is the sound of 
the cell that is stressed, under stress. Yeah, so when I heard those two sounds, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess the first one was the healthy cell. Mm-hmm. It seemed more rhythmic. It seemed uh, more organized, less chaotic. Um, the second sound seemed all over the place. It, it felt <laughs> like, it sounded like distress. It sounded, it sounded it felt, it seemed disorganized and like a- chaotic. It sounds like how I feel when I'm, when I am stressed, like that, that short circuiting. (laughs) So it seems really apparent. Um, And this was from a, was this from a Ted talk? It looked like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I can, I can include the link. Yeah. That'd be great. And uh, that'd be wonderful because we'll, we'll have that play for the audience. Folks, you heard those two sounds. We'll, we'll put the Ted talk that that's associated with in the resource notes for the episode. So you can go back and look at that. But what it points to is that uh, our body on a molecular level is responding different when things are well and good and healthy and happy versus when things are in distress, uh, uh, hurt, uh, negative emotion, uh, and all those other kinds of things that would be the opposite of that first set of things. And, um, At least, I think we all, um, let me say it differently. We all seem to think we understand how the world works. And we we see everything kind of on this observable level in our reality. And, And the real reality is that there is so much mystery to who we humans are and and what the world is around us that it might be beneficial for us to pay closer attention when there's data available um, that isn't normal data within kind of our awareness. And that when people who are very specialized in their research start to share things with us that we couldn't have even possibly come close to until they spoke up, it, it calls us to pay closer attention to those things and to sense the value uh, in those ideas, uh, mm-hmm. any thoughts from you on this the cellular stuff? Oh no, I I loved everything that you said. That was beautiful. Um, it, it seems as though the more that we can relax, be present, um, be as healthy and in a positive emotional state as possible that our bodies all the way down to the molecular level are going to respond and react in better ways. Hmm. Um, I, I really appreciate all the stuff you've shared with us today, Jess. Thank you. And so it fun. <laughs> yeah, it has. I, I think again, I, I was very, I was very nervous when we started this uh, interview that my microphone wouldn't pick up these instruments as well as they sound in, in real life here being in the room with my human ears listening. And as we've played these back, they sound beautiful. And so I'm really excited for you, the audience, to get the chance to listen to all these instruments. Um, 
for folks who are in southern Utah, for folks who are in the Las Vegas area, um, if you're interested in what Jess and Jacqueline are doing, again, what's what's the website URL again? Um, growwithsoul.com, and then you'll scroll down to Shamanic Sound Healing and click on that, and it gives you information as well as contact for Jacqueline. Perfect. And so, folks, if you want to reach out and try to set up a, uh, uh, a session to do this sound healing, and I, I think anybody who does this benefits from it, um, please do so. Consider doing that. Um, anything else that you'd want to add, Jess, before we kind of wrap up? Uh, it's just been a, you know, we've been doing this now for about an hour and a half. Oh, my. And uh, maybe we'll finish with you playing the didgeridoo. Didgeridoo, yeah. Um, but any other thoughts before, before we go to that? Um, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I love you guys. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah. And, and just and just means that, like, we've had all these conversations. She really spends a lot of time in the space of human development and trauma healing and uh, we really, over the years, we've had the chance to interact with so many folks in conversation. And I've been in so many spaces where Jess has sang or played, uh, played music. Um, and she really is one of these spirits that just really uh, cares about human beings and what they're carrying with them. And about what tools exist to help people process trauma, to regulate their emotional state, and to live better and healthier lives. And so with that, uh, we'll have you play the didgeridoo, which uh, is also a really fun instrument. And so I'm super excited. And then as one last thing, we're going to play, this is a Tibetan sound bowl. Mm-hmm. And you can maybe already start to hear the echo in it. Oh, man. Um, so just kind of as a bonus instrument, we'll have you, uh, we'll have you play this one. Okay. Seven Tibetan singing bowls, and they are made of seven metals. And they were handcrafted under the full moon by a... Um, father and daughter in the Himalayas. Mm. Normally, this big one that I'm about to play, we play it on the body, and it is powerful. Yeah, you did this. When we were at your house last time, you set bowls on our chest, mm-hmm. and you played them, and it very much had... Uh, it was a very unique experience to participate in that. Mm. Mm. 